Stampede. Garner isn't number 36. I'm not a scientist, a geologist, a chemist, or a physicist. No, I've led a very common existence. But that doesn't stop me from asking some common questions. Like, where did all the water from the oceans come from? Because there really is a lot of it here on Earth. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered in it, leaving 29% as landmass, including all islands. Of that, approximately 30% of the land is arid or desert, while the oceans make up 96% of all the water, leaving less than 4% of fresh water. We know water plays an important part in our bodies. 50 to 60% of our body is made up of water. To be precise, 
we really don't know where the water came from. There are several ideas about that. One theory is that the atmosphere and the oceans came from volcanic activity. It's believed 4.5 billion years ago as dust and rock began rotating, creating a gravitational pull, the earth was formed. And a billion years later, as it cooled, the oceans began appearing. The oceans and our atmosphere work hand in hand. The air we breathe is layers of gases retained by the Earth's gravity and protects life on Earth by creating pressure, allowing water to exist on the surface of the Earth. The atmosphere absorbs solar radiation, reducing extreme temperatures. Now, all of that raises other questions, but one thing is certain. Compared to geological time, we human beings have only been here on Earth like the blink of an eye. Let's face it, the majority of people don't even care about how all the oceans got here. They just want to know where they can get their next meal. And I don't think that can be disputed. Every living thing exists by taking in nutrients to survive. And this raises other questions. Several weeks ago, on a different Garner Isn't show, I was wondering about a space vehicle launched by Israel with the help of NASA.
It was launched last April, and its mission was to land a vehicle on the moon. Now, this project carried three payloads, and that's what's been troubling me. The first component was a sample of a DNA molecule. The second component was a library of 30 million electronic documents describing the history of the human species. And finally, the third payload was hundreds of living tardigrades, also called water bears. Now, it doesn't take much to put one's mind thinking about this. The facts of the matter are, the mission failed. The vehicle crashed onto the surface of the moon. But you know, when a country or any other entity decides to send a vehicle to the moon, there are lots of reasons for that. First, it produces recognition that you're able to do that. When I was living in Africa, shortly after we successfully sent humans to the moon, I was asked directly by a Lebanese restaurateur while eating a plate of hummus at his restaurant in Accra, Ghana. Why did you Americans go to the moon? You know, that technological accomplishment had a profound effect on an enormous number of people, especially with people who believe the moon has a spiritual meaning. Now, thinking about this question by a man who came from an ancient land, Lebanon, a man whose blood for generations looked at the moon in a spiritual way, his question, why did your people go to the moon, did not make me pause with respect. I was a young man, patriotic, and said something I regret today, nearly 50 years ago. Half-jokingly, I said, we went to the moon so we could control the tides of the oceans. He looked at me in shock. He really did believe America went to the moon so we could control the tides of the oceans. Oh
Like I said, that conversation took place nearly 50 years ago in Africa when I was a young man. And today, I wouldn't say it again. We may not be capable of controlling the tides of the oceans, but what that vehicle was carrying to the moon has a very ominous promise for our future. Why would anyone want to send a DNA molecule to the surface of the moon? That can be accessed or found in lots of places on Earth. Who or what would gain from it being stored on the moon? Maybe it was securing information about the signature of all living things on Earth. But like I said, that's abundantly available without storing it on the moon. And... What about that 30 million page electronic library describing the history of humankind? I mean, do you have to send that to be stored on the moon? Most people would agree with me that can be readily found in lots of places right here on Earth. You don't have to spend money to store it on the surface of the moon. And what about that thing of sending hundreds of living tardigrades to the moon? I won't go into detail describing what tardigrades are. You can look that up for yourself. They're found nearly everywhere on Earth in the most inhospitable environments and are even reported to survive in outer space. Well, I can venture a guess as to why this moon mission was thought of. And it wasn't because someone was trying to affect the tides of the oceans on Earth. You know, if you've been listening to Garner Isn't, I'm not a happy warrior. Damn straight. I've got a heavy streak of paranoia running through my brain. And for good reason. This mission to the moon wasn't a little treasure hunt for some alien race to stop off at the moon before progressing to our little happy blue planet. Yeah. <laughs> 
Garner isn't a show about convincing you that everything is all right. No, that's what the consumerist world wants you to believe. No, I won't tell you everything is all right. That's what the propagandists want to do, to keep you working for the system. I look at the deceptions, the lies that are used to keep you as the tools for something that won't stand. We've distorted our connection to the natural world, the ancient laws that have permitted us to survive. And that question of survival keeps being raised. It's been determined that over 99% of all living species that once lived on Earth are now extinct caused by various events over the millenniums. Now, we have 7.7 billion of us living on our planet, nearly 7 billion more who exist on Earth in a little over 100 years. As of the making of this show, in the second week of February 2020, a serious contagion has broken out in China. In a little over six weeks, when this virus was first reported, there were a handful of people being infected. The statistics are somewhat uncertain, but as of today, it's claimed that 60,000 people are now suffering from this respiratory disease, with over 1,300 people dead. An entire city of 11 million people has been quarantined. This show won't air for three weeks sometime in the beginning of March, and it will be curious to see how conditions have changed. I'll say this much. The system of consumerism is going to be seriously changed by this virus. 
even if the measures to end its spread are successful, this kind of thing is not going to stop. Whether it's climate change, the weapons we build, the false numbers of financial strength, something is happening. Peace and well-being may not be something we can look forward to. Was last April's mission to the moon a resignation? A realization that we're coming to an end? Well, the end for us may not be as soon as some have predicted. The coronavirus may only be a scratch in the history of mankind. I look at the oceans where life began three billion years ago, and I know For our short time here on Earth, we haven't been good stewards. We've taken and used for our own interests, built systems that defy the natural world. You think the life you're living won't have consequences. You can turn away from the values that keep us connected. No, You believe your connection is something artificial. Well, that world isn't going to work. The natural world is dangerous, and we should always respect it. Without that, we can never have respect for ourselves, because we came from it. No matter how dangerous it is, we can't leave the natural world because we'll never understand who and what we are. I belong to something that's beautiful, but it's also dangerous. I accept the risks. I know that without that, my life can never be of value. 
I'm not a number to be used. No, I know how to create, how to see the world as it is. I don't need the addiction of the artificial world that distorts the reality of what I am. I belong to something else. I belong to the oceans, no matter how dangerous. And for that, I'm a free man. You won't hear me entertain you. I don't think I can do that anymore. Things have gotten too serious for that. I despise the waste, the greed, the deceptions that surround me. I see what we're doing and what we're becoming, and I don't accept that. I belong to the oceans, to the mountains, and to the rivers. I can accept that danger. This isn't Ilya Kazan's 1950 Academy Award-winning movie for best story, Panic in the Streets. No, it's not Richard Woodmark, Paul Douglas, Barbara Geddes, Zero Mostel, or Jack Palance. No, it's going to play out on a real street. This thing is real. And it's a story as old as the oceans. Maybe the coronavirus is as old as three billion years. You want me to entertain you, so you don't have to think about that. That what's coming, no consumerist world can stop. And I see that. I don't belong to you. I belong to something else. This week, the music on Garnerism began with Claude Debussy's composition, Nocturnes, a 1899 creation. Then you heard Finale by Michael Stearns from the 1992 movie Baraka, followed by a piece from the soundtrack Black Hawk Down, Gortos Iran, with Danae Pretion and Lisa Garrard. Then another cut from the soundtrack of Baraka, The Monkey Chant. Finally, more Michael Stearns from the documentary Baraka, A Cultural Perspective of the World. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.